Okay, welcome again, everybody. Um, so we'll uh, we'll jump right into things this evening. So we have around 15 or 16 contributors, it looks like, and we'll um, have a little chance to share a piece. Could be the piece that appeared in Wild Rift Journal, something else, combination of one and the other. First up, JD Goodman. Uh, I see you on the list here, so hello. All right. I have um I have sort of weird weird luck where I always wind up first when I do these. <laughs> I don't I don't know what's up with that. But maybe some sort of curse on my family. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to read uh, first a poem uh, called Hotel Morning Number Three, and then if I have time, I'll read a piece that appeared in uh, Wild Route Seventeen called Gold. And I'm reading them together because they're they're sort of companions. Uh, I I wrote them sort of um, during during a month long stay in the same place uh, while I was living in one location. They kind of came out of this same place where I was I was living in sort of a tourist town by a river where people came and went. Hotel morning number three. Midnight's agents return. In a haze of middle age and joint pain, once blunder buses, now targets, homes for nesting crows. Has there ever been a day so clear, he asks. He's made a jaw rest from his fist. Sky has jagged edges, which his offspring do not see. Distant boats on far shoals wear fog like jerseys. Somehow he knows this. Somehow he knows lots of things. Somehow he can taste a mountain flower. The sky has jagged edges, his house on shifting soil. He can do so little to chase the children down their fairy paths. But he can taste a mountain flower, bite down hard to offset the ache, and he will sleep a long time tonight. And then do I have time for time for one more? I got the uh, got the thumbs up. Goal. I backstroked too far upriver, and a little white bird made Emerson circles around me. Decaying docks which dot the water held out against a soft tide, keeping me company. I thought I might drown. The eye is the first circle. The little white bird, clucking his jaw and eye, gritting my teeth, felt as one. I thought of Moses in reeds and Leviathan in the deep when that dead-eyed gull floated off somewhere. Every action admits of being outdone. When Patrick set, sent the snakes out of ire, two caught their breath in Barra and said, I'll see you in America. I can't say if they made it, but to swim against the tide, or to presume to, is to see the world made plain. That's all for me. Thank you. Great. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Uh, Chris Wharton. Thank you. Um, thanks, Aaron, for putting this together. Um, okay. So I'm going to go ahead and read the poem that was published in May of 2022 in issue 14. Uh, I have a collection coming out this year, and um, this poem will be in it. 
It's called Early Monday Morning. I can't stop pointing out the stars. Hours before sunrise, I'm on my front porch, a deck that faces woods and darkness. We have no streetlight, no neighbors, so few lights in this part of town. The stars are a map I'm still learning to read. Below me, my yard is dense, darkness I can't see no matter how many times I blink. Above, the stars form a patchwork, some paths, a sequined banner of bright, less bright. My boy dog sits at my side, silent, awaiting the answer to some existential question I'm not yet aware of, one that is bigger than why am I here? And because the answer never comes, I think perhaps it isn't that big. Perhaps it is why are there so many shades of darkness or why do we cry when we're happy? I show him Orion recently returned to our sky and the dippers, constellations I've known since I was a child. In Argentina, I searched the stars the same way. White and blue, yellow pinpricks, arms of the Milky Way reaching from Chile to the mountains behind me. No dippers, no Orion, no knife, no belt, no handle to hold the familiar. The pre-dawn black all around and above as unknown to me on that mountain as I was in that world. Had I disappeared, a grain of soil in the midst of a million others, I might have never been found, as those unknown stars were gone to me, as we all are, each one of us, day to day in this world where we think we know our place, but we can't always recognize what we're missing. Thank you. And if it's okay, I'll read one other. Okay. Uh, this one's called Haze. It will also be in my collection, which is actually called Alchemy. This poem is called Haze. This morning, tornado weather, the sky a peculiar flat blue, no clouds, no wind, a stillness not unlike the careful way you move through your parents' house now, afraid of the comments, masks are a burden, Fauci's a liar, gas is too high, electricity is expensive. Their world is the worst it's ever been. You can't see the cacti on the mountainsides. Is it smoke haze? This desert landscape is burning. We're using all the water, ruining our sky, ourselves. Your world is the worst it's ever been. You wake with a headache each morning from the pillow, air pressure, the stress of not saying what you think, of watching your parents become theirs, you become them. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, next up, we have Shannon Christine. Hi, how you doing? I am a first timer here, so thank you. This is such a wonderful community and I'm, I'm really glad and happy to be reading with such poets. I brought one along and it's the one that um, just got published in the January edition. Um, it's called How to Repot a Root-Bound Plant. Eventually, all containers, all homes run out of space tightly packed, no room to, wiggle to, move. Claustrophobic quarters, tangled roots, grip, latch, suffocating, pushing outward, reaching, coiled in, around, spiraled, primary, secondary, all clinging for life. 
Use one hand to support the vessel. The other cradles the crop, barely holds on, enough to coax, to loosen, to guide. The plant holds tighter. Flip the pot to the side, slow and gentle, steady, steady. The plant grips tighter. Encourage her freedom, feel her release. She slides outward, reborn. The plant sighs, deeper, deep breaths, gulping, air, sunlight, droplets, roots unfurling, refusing to break, to drown, to, to choke rather, to wither, respite the plant accepts. Dust away the excess dirt clumps, soil stuck, tethered in the roots, the plant grieves, place in a larger container, nestle the earth around the base, feed and water, provide light, latitude, time to settle in and grow, room to spread. Thank you. Thanks, and I just, I posted the link to that piece in the chat. That's a poem that uses formatting uh, effectively, I would say. Um, so it could, you get a little bit of a different experience, of course, hearing it versus uh, seeing how it was laid out on the, on the page or the screen for that matter. Um, so thanks for your flexibility, Christine, because I know we went back and forth once just to, to confirm how that might look on the PDF versus the web version. So I appreciate you making those adjustments. Um, next, we have uh, Liam Day. Hi, everybody. Um, Aaron, thank you uh, for having me. I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to read uh, two short poems. The first is the one that was uh, published uh, in the journal, and that's called Antiquing. I'm not quite sure how the brimming, brimming barns, four floors of buckling boards support all the beds and tables, bureaus and divans. In one corner leans a portrait of a son of rural gentry, nascent widow's peak like two rows of hoder already encroaching on the young heir's smooth forehead, painting in the rest now carrying for scavenging birds who, before flying off to feather brick and hardwood nest, pick over what the dead left. And then I decided to go with one more with an aviary theme, Hawk Down. Hawk Down. Icing on stale cake, last night's snow coated the sidewalk in front of the half-wrecked ice company depot, chipped tooth in the smile of a sun rising behind it. Chunks of concrete clung to steel rods of its skeletal frame. Near it sat a demolition crane, motorized T-Rex, pear-shaped ball hanging taut from boom. Before we traded ice boxes for Frigidaire's company and assets were, according to the times, worth near $2 million. Forming half an angel with one good wing, it swept back and forth on the pavement, the other shorn at some point from its body, head swiveling to buy the passers-by who stepped into traffic to skirt it, a hawk sprawled on the sidewalk. It neither sought nor found relief, unused as I expect needed. Predator, not prey. How easy to believe will always be. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. We'll move along. Um, next, we have Emma. Maximera. You're good. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I really appreciate everything that you guys do at this journal, and it's a great community here. So I appreciate it. Um, 
I'm going to be reading my piece called And She Asked Me, Have You Ever Been in Love?, which was published in issue 14. Give me your love seed. Let me water it, cherish it, indulge it with unblinking eyes. And soon, my dear, we will have a flower, a daffodil, perhaps. But you must let me water it, cherish it, indulge it with sweet sunlit smiles from good morning to good night. And I'll be a wild woman, one of those divine creatures I found mysterious as a child. And soon, my dear, we will have a garden teeming with overgrown daffodils, but you must let me water them, cherish them, indulge them with scattered specks of summer till winter creeps on in. And I'll be a wondrous woman, not simply in age, nor body, nor spirit, but in love. And soon, my dear, we will have weeds and pests and moldy memories. Our daffodils will be mere dust, but you must let me water them, cherish them, indulge them with spoiled songs we sang in blissful obscurity. And I'll be a woman-loving woman, Sheltered within the folds and crevices of Aphrodite's womb, I'll mold a fresh woman out of clay and rumors and sinner serum, then paint sapphic stanzas on some straight stranger's tomb. And soon, my dear, we will have a barren land. Heaps of nothing will plaster our bare bodies, stretch across our thin skin. Soon we will exist as infertile soil. Nothing will grow here and nothing will pity us. And when that day comes, my friend, I will return your love seed and beg you to plant it elsewhere. Thank you. Awesome, thanks, Emma. So now might be a good time just to take uh, take a moment, take a couple of breaths. There's always like so much good stuff in a row. It's good just to take a, a pause for a second. I'll give you a couple updates in the meantime. The idea going forward, if uh, if you didn't hear the spiel the last time, is to do some kind of online gathering every month or so. So I think March, I think we'll we'll consider this one a February, a February uh, gathering at the beginning of the month. So maybe in March, we'll do something else. Uh, we've done a couple of things so far over the past uh, several months, maybe like a mini workshop. We did kind of an informal chat kind of discussion one month. So we might do something kind of like that, like a generative writing workshop or something along those lines, just to, um, you know, spend a little time, you know, with the notebook, getting some stuff down, getting some ideas. So it's always good to uh, make time for that. So maybe that'll be coming around. Uh, typically, I'll just sound out an email uh, when we kind of settle on a date. Join in if you uh, if you want to and if you have the evening free. And of course, we have the issues. Next issue will come out in March. Typically, we keep rolling submissions open. So if you know other creative people, which is probably a fair chance you do, we're pretty much always collecting submissions. Um, we have a podcast. Emma, you've been on the podcast. So, yeah, uh, if, you're, if, <laughs> so um, if you want more poetry talk in your life, and who doesn't, you can uh, check out the audio on any, any podcast app you use, Spotify, Apple Music. Amazon Music, whatever. That's just a Wild Dreams podcast. Um, and then I've been posting clips or segments on YouTube as well. So either one of those options. Um, you could check out a little more um, 
contributor poems. We typically maybe make a couple selections from a recent issue, talk them over, uh, throw in our two cents in kind of a roundtable format. Um, so my colleague Chris is uh, my co-host there. We usually have a contributor or two um, joining us to um, talk through some some pieces and recent issues. So that's uh, another way to connect with the Wild Roof community. I think that's all. That's all on my end. Misty, do you have anything else to add, or did I forget anything important? No, I think you got it all. <laughs> all right, Melody Wilson. Thank you. Hi. Um, this is my first um, time here with you guys. And so, and I do really appreciate what you're trying to do. And I also was surprised and appreciated that you accepted my strange poem, um, which, you know, I had not, I had written it sometime before and it is wild. So here, here we go. I'll, I'll read two poems so I can read one that isn't quite so brutal. All right. So, so this poem is another way to think about Little Red Riding I might not mind being eaten by wolves, clutched in their big paws, rank thrash and scramble, glitter in their yellow eyes. I don't mean to romanticize. I almost hear tearing my own squeals, crunching between curved teeth, sinews ripped bit by bit, pups mule for regurgitated meat. Not that different, really, the struggle to survive, Slow sacrifice of self across so many afternoons, denial, compromise, the inarticulate lies when all I want to be is pure, not animal, but blood, howl, power as she bounds hungry through the dangerous night. What an odd and strange poem. All right, cave paint. This was coming out, this poem's coming out in Crab Creek um, sometimes. I can never remember the names of the caves in France where ancient fingers painted slender legs of horses with improbable bellies. Imagine iron oxide and soot in stone bowls, minerals blended into shapes with pads of moss, the artist poised between fire and the curved wall of the cave, a rust-colored horse, outline of a bull, a charcoal stag with antlers the shape of dendrites, no people. The walls, the roof, every crevice teems with what lived above. Images evolved from materials at hand and the divots geology left behind. Once a doctor sent a camera down into the base of my left lung, steered it through the chambers of my heart. He was looking for the cause of the bleeding. I was young then and imagined the pulsing walls of my heart smooth and red. Today, I expect rough spots, artifacts of the life I've led. Or maybe there's a herd of horses bloated on optimism, manes feathering up from their necks in coal, legs so fragile they scarcely bear weight. Sometimes when I wake at night, I feel them still running. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Melody. I hear that a lot. Like we, I didn't expect this weird poem to get published. So there's a, there's kind of there's a, a running trend. Uh, so sometimes we, we publish a weird one or two in every issue. Appreciate that. Thanks. Um, next up, Veronica Barker Barzell. Yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So you had two pieces, in uh, the issue eighteen for January. 
Yes. So um, I'm mostly a printmaker and I do go back to painting on occasion. And so this, this piece is a, I made it out of linoleum where I carve the block and then I ink it and I run it through the press. Um, the image itself, I was inspired last time I was in Israel pre-pandemic um, and went up to Masada and I was, I was standing there like in the middle of, of nothing basically. And, and at the time I was thinking that the Ibex were gazelles, I didn't really understand the difference. Um, but I was thinking about these, these Ibexes out there kind of um, representing our ancestors and ancestors being sort of a general term because Masada in itself had so many different peoples coming through there at various times from the Byzantines, to the Jews, to the Romans. So I was just thinking of these, these creatures watching over us and like this always there, whether we're there or not, the history and the energy. So the, the design in the background, the patterns that was all taken from some mosaic work I saw there because I wanted to incorporate that feeling into this piece. So that's that. Yeah. It's a little long to fit on the screen, but yeah, sorry. There we go. Close enough. Um, thanks for that. And then the second piece, and if you're following our Instagram account, it was kind of coincidental that I, uh, I posted this one, I guess, earlier in the week, and you're joining us for the reading. Um, right. It was intentional, but hey, what the heck? Um, it worked <laughs> out. You. So this one, um, me and Brenda? Yes. Um, so this one's an etching where I, I do it on a zinc plate. And um, so in the it's basically the reverse of the the relief block where the ink's on top and this one, the ink is basically inside the lines and then also sort of on the plate. Um, use acid and aqua tint and all this other stuff to, to get the various shadowing and designs into it. But the, the piece itself, I was, uh, I was just thinking about like, um, I grew up in a basically a Navy community and I was picturing sailors in the pub somewhere telling tall tales about mermaids that they see out at sea or would desire to see out at sea from any port. So I have a lot of, um, I have Celtic design in here and then I have some um, Ismic tile design. I was, I was trying to make it more of, since sailors kind of travel the world, I was trying to incorporate different groups in a sense. And mermaids kind of every, I think almost every mariner culture has something in regards to mermaids. So um, that's what this piece is, basically. That's all I've got. <laughs> awesome. Thank, yeah. Thank you so much for, I love hearing the, some of the background and some of the inspirations, especially with the visual art pieces, too. Thanks for that. Oh, I was going to add, as a Capricorn, I appreciate the gazelle, even if it's not, a, I know it's not a goat, but it's kind of, you know, has kind of similar imagery. So it was right. a, an anecdotal kind of connection. Um, so I had to include that for the January issue so, yeah, for the Capricorns out there. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. So next up we have Victoria Dim. Yes, hi. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. <laughs> um, so um, I do want to thank Aaron and also thank you, Misty, for helping out. Um, we have the Hatchet Sun, which is under contract, and that was the... Um, 
thus a poem that I had in issue 12, my title poem for my full length manuscript, manuscript that's gonna be uh, out this year. But I'm gonna read, I read that poem last time. So I'm gonna read two to other poems that I have. Originally the title for this manuscript was Living with Lizards. And I did change it to The Hatchet Sun. Uh, but here is Living with Lizards 3. I carry him in the yellow watering can that I keep in the bathroom closet where he breathed his last lizard breath, where I found him motionless, months dead. Unceremonious, I wear no bra, no makeup, finger comb my hair. His funeral only I attend at the garden, his final resting place. I spray water in the can. He floats upwards towards me, a small one, a teenager, paper thin, washes to the ground with a flip of the can near the flowering Mexican thyme. His lifeless, Immature body now glistens in the light of day. I examine his claws, tail, can see his skeletal outline under his leathery skin. He had starved in the yellow watering can, desperate for food and water, crawled up in the spout and died. He, was he alive at Thanksgiving, at Christmas? In my earlier days, I may have flushed him down the toilet like pet guppies or goldfish, but today I minister to this departed soul who died alone. He was, after all, a secret roommate, a presence that breathed the same air as me. I deliver him back to the earth. It's Sunday, 5.30-ish. I am thirsty. I return to the apartment to finish New Year's cleaning to my cat. Wonder who's next. And I have another really short one, which is also going to be in the collection for the Hatchet Sun. Uh, this one actually was published by uh, Carlo University Press uh, in volume 22. If ancient forests fall. Then what of the wood stork and her baby, like wraiths floating white just to the right of the boardwalk, fashioned from bald cypress, slithering like a Burmese python through this corkscrew preserve, markers like gravestones naming the vanished, burned to their knees, Cypress logged, the language of egrets silenced, no more the rhythm of the pecker, the alligator's slimy soup and salad, teeming green swamp gone, hiding claws and scales and bulging eyes of diamond yellow. Thank you so much. Wonderful, thanks. Uh, next up, uh, David Goodrum. Well, thanks, Aaron, Misty, for inviting me and pulling this great group together. It's lovely poetry tonight. Um, behind me is a detail from 
Fallen Leaf and Rain number two, which was in uh, number 16 uh, back in September 2022. I took it in 2020. Um, I, there was something going on then. It didn't go anywhere, and I kind of walked around the neighborhood, and I've spent a lot of time pausing and reflecting at things underfoot, and this fallen leaf uh, was one of those. Um, I also have a poem coming up in issue, I think, number 19, called uh, Distilling, and it's in three titled parts, all very short. Treacle, words often used as sugar, infinitely poured grains banked against love's erosion, sweet though compost for others. The second is called words worth. Savor, simple words, often discarded, gathered by gleaners, knowing that words matter, repurposed forever where most needed. And the third one for poems sake, each word polished with care, fermented for days as more are appended, amounting to nothing or clarity. And the uh, other poem I'll read was published in Star 82 Review last March called uh, Waiting for Discovery. This is no time to anticipate whether or not the bird will fly to the branch or the reed, or if her feathers will stay floating on the pond. For it is almost the wakeful evening, and I am somewhere between the sleep of roiling water and the sleep of ice which wait not for the dream of bone, but of marrow, that chases the bird from the woods to the field, from stone to stone. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So we'll move on to Justine Payton. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thank you everyone for being here. I think it's wonderful to hear everybody's work and for me, this publication was actually the first time that something I've written has been published. I've only been submitting things for the last few months, so it was very exciting and um, very grateful to the Wild Root Journal for um, making this piece spread larger than it would be having just sat on my computer. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, this essay is called Do Leaves Hurt When They Fall? And it was in the, the January issue. Do leaves hurt when they fall? Abscission, the natural detachment of parts of a plant, a cyclical process that transforms summer into autumn, a harbinger of wonder and grief. He grips one finger as we walk. It's all that he can hold in his small hand, the knuckles barely visible beneath a chubby layer of baby fat his two-year-old self has yet to shake. He looks around with an occasional misstep, head tilted towards the sky. He is memorized by the world we have entered, 
an alleyway between homes and Rittenhouse Square, where trees taller than the four-story townhouses stretch across the cement expanse. The late October winds spiral falling red, orange, and yellow leaves in whimsical swirls around us. The nipping gusts are cold against my cheeks. His have turned a cardinal red from their kisses. His face suddenly shifts from wonder to sadness, and he says something that I can't hear above the wind and rattling branches. Kneeling down, I look him in the eyes. What is it, Harry? Do leaves hurt when they fall? His lips are trembling as tears pool in the corners of his large brown eyes. He looks to me for an answer. I lift him up into my arms, pulling the weight of his tiny body into my own. I don't know, darling, I whisper and twirl us around so that he begins to laugh. But see, the leaves are dancing on the way down. Later that night, after Harry's parents return home, the 21 bus carries me back to West Philadelphia. The days are shorter now. The luminescence of storefronts, cars, and street lamps cast shadows on busy streets as people cower underneath scarves and hoods, only their fingers left exposed by supposed necessity to click immediate responses on their phones. Harry's words play over and over again in my head. Do leaves hurt when they fall? Holding his tiny hand in my own, carrying his small form in my arms, how could I tell him the truth? That the entire earth is hurting. That we, human beings, have catalyzed a catastrophic geological age fueled by industrialization, greed, and exploitation. That forests are weeping as their trees are felled and invasive species proliferate. That the oceans are moaning as their waters heat, their fish are stolen, and their coral die off. That mountains tremble in nakedness, having lost the nourishing cover of snowfall. That animals scream in terror, abused and used in industrial complexes, and made extinct by a relentless expansion into their wild realms. That children inhale fumes and exhale disease. That the light of the fireflies is gradually diminishing into darkness. Meanwhile, the bus I ride coughs out around 0.64 pounds of CO2 per mile, as it bounces over Philadelphia's ubiquitous potholes. It's better than a car, far worse than a bike. It'll cost the earth 1.92 pounds of CO2 emissions to carry me home. Wind whistles against the glass. The fluorescent lighting is as harsh as reality. In answer to Harry's question, the realm of science provides little. Plants lacking a central nervous system are denied the possibility of pleasure and pain. While many Eastern and indigenous spiritual beliefs proclaim the inherent divinity of all life forms, the Judeo-Christian philosophies that dominate the West condemn the natural world as inferior, bereft of a conscious soul. Freed from guilt by calculated indifference, we carve names into bark and sever inconvenient limbs. We ensconce trees and cement cages to accommodate impractical shoes and to proliferate the aesthetic of control in straight lines. We uproot forests to satisfy our insatiable carnivorous demands. And like animals encaged, encaged in cathode facilities, we plant rows of saplings in commercial forests with illusory benevolence, not for the tree's edification, but for our own indulgence. Ignoring science and prevalent beliefs, I wonder about a reality where leaves hurt when they fall, forced to leave the embrace of their trees branching and interconnected limbs. Do they forgive the tree, knowing that abscission is a natural form of self-protection, a way to remove unproductive appendages in order to survive the harsh winter? Do they let go in selfless surrender, knowing that sacrifice is often needed for new beginnings to take root? 
If they depart with consciousness, perhaps they do dance on their way down and celebrate, as few do, an awareness of their purpose and meaning in the greater matrix of life. Once nestled on the cold ground, perhaps they reminisce about their time above, when by the potency of their own being, they transformed sunlight into life. When their countless trichomes quivered in ecstasy over the caress of a summer rainfall, and they exchanged secrets with the wind, passing messages from branch to branch and tree to tree. When the hum of cicadas vibrated their green petioles in a vibrant celebration of life, and they gazed each night at passing constellations, making wishes on shooting stars that the humans missed. What love is lost between the leaves and the tree when autumn comes? I imagine the leaves must feel the pain of separation when they are swept away down city rain gutters or into black bags as trash, thus denied their natural reabsorption as organic content into the soil that is meant to feed their tree. The tree and the leaves must both think it is a temporary separation, knowing that with time and patience, they will connect again deeper at the root of existence. Maybe this is why the trees howl so loudly in the city's winters, bellowing a song of separation and grief over lost love. Their voices tell the story. Humans are the villain in this tragedy. To write with anthropomorphic themes is an accepted literary tool. To live by anthropomorphic beliefs is deemed atavistic, unscientific, and possibly pagan. And yet how different the world would be if we allowed ourselves to see through the eyes of two-year-old Harry. A world where falling leaves can hurt and the natural world around us is alive with sentience and dynamic relationships. A world lived by the dictums of imagination and wonder, inspiring us to delve into the unexplored depths of interspecies empathy and compassion, emotional experiences unreadable and unteachable by scientific tools or theorems. A world where we live in eagerness to hear the varied cadences of the wind and relish raindrops falling onto our upturned faces. A world where autumn's pigmented brilliance and cascading leaves reminds us of the reciprocal love between the tree and its leaves, as apparent as the intimacy we share with those whom we love. Thank you. Thanks so much, Justine. It's always good to be a first publication to you, so that's a, a good uh, insight. Thanks for uh, reminding me of that. And uh, next up, uh, John Tessitore. Uh, thank you. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read two poems. I think I'm last, so I'm going to read the heavy one first and the happy one second. We can end on a high note. Um, the heavy one was published in uh, issue 16, September, of Wild Roof. I'm always grateful, uh, so thank you. Uh, it's called The Second Law. I've wasted so much time beating back the vines that threaten to take our home, when tiny tendrils always seem to find small cracks and widen them. So much of my brutal effort suddenly seems so futile. I had forgot that I too am part of the system, that I will spill into the irreversible sooner than later. I had forgotten that neither of us would hold forever, that change always follows the transfer of air, water, energy from one body to another. I should have been better prepared for the inevitable. It's so hard to watch things crumble now after so long a struggle. And that's heavy enough. So the, I'll close with an honest to God love sonnet, uh, which was first published in uh, Boats Against the Current. And I've also collected in a recent little collection I put together called Body Songs. Uh, 
It's called, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I have a title I've never really pronounced out loud. Uh, it's, it's called Amigdala. The condition of love is the motion of waves, the fall and rise, steady, never still. The ancients assumed its source in the heart, the pulse, the rapid coursing and rush from chest to limb. The brain, without a muscle of its own, did not match their experience. The ache, the flutter and twitch of desire. I have tried to be quiet and mindful, to sit on my pillow, stare at my wall, but there is no end to the movement, the pumping, the doubling of the rhythm. Love plays itself to exhaustion, then plays itself again. Perpetual beginning. A love song is a melody repeating. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So hi. I'm so glad to be here to read my poem from issue number 17 and to be invited to do so along with all of the other wonderful poets who are appearing on this roundtable. And congratulations to all of the poets, both past and present. Uh, for this wonderful journal. I just wanted to give the hugest shout out to the editor, Aaron Morito, and to Chris, who chose my poem for the podcast, number 22, and the others who joined in to discuss my poem, Rachel Myers and Ann Keeling. It's really an honor to have my poem chosen to be discussed individually. You guys definitely got the spirituality part and the idea of sharing this idea of perceiving the rain and I was actually viewing it from my back door, not a window, um, but yeah, quite close. And uh, I was looking out of the opened back door and seeing birds just bounced under the leaves of one of the massive trees in the backyard and just taking shelter there uh, from this huge, huge downpour. Seeing all of the rain all around, all around and this idea of throwing your hands back to really receive the rain and kind of being uh, holding onto the sides of the doors and putting yourself out there into the rain to just kind of let it come to you, this kind of visceral experience one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. So this poem is called Waiting for the Gift. Waiting for the Gift by Bracha K. Sharp. When the hands of rain is reasonable, when from the static I can tell that a storm is imminent, when air and leaves and sparrows pause, readying themselves for lightning too, this is the expected journey of the rain. But yesterday the storm brought with it the pause before the fall, the gasp before the start, and with it they need to fall into the storm, to flow, to stand at the opened door, hands outstretched and face tipped up. Now I am ready to receive the wind, the slap of wet, the vibration, like prayer, like praise. And this was why I liked the rain, the value of luminescence, beauty of expectation. And when the storm came, I watched the bubbles form on the deck and burst there on the spot. And I, alongside the sparrows, all balanced in wet, dripping trees, bent my head back to encourage this gift. So thank you for allowing me to share my poem with you guys. Thank you again, everybody, for, for joining, taking the time out of your night to uh, share something you've been uh, working on or had published. It's always good to revisit these. Uh, from my perspective, I've seen them when they were submitted. I've seen them when they were accepted. I've seen them when I put the issues together over and over again. But it's it's always like a refreshing and new experience to actually hear them and, 
and to revisit them. So um, even from my perspective, it's it's uh, something worthwhile and uh, inspiring. So I'm sure you probably share some of some of those emotions, some of those thoughts. Um, so my recommendation now is open up your Word file, open up your notebook, um, you know, strike all the irons hot, as they say, and get something down while you're feeling those creative uh, juices flowing. So, uh, Misty, do you have anything else uh, to add? Anything? Not really. Just I thank forgot. you all for coming, and thank you all for for your bravery of sharing your work in the journal and with us tonight. Um, as you're going through the chats. Uh, one anecdote, uh, Trapper, you're here from uh, as a visitor this time. You read last time. Um, I shared your anecdote about the creation of your poem last time to my students, um, where, where we were doing free writing uh, exercises or uh, intuitive writing exercises. I said, you know what, a poet I just had on a, on a reading, a group reading, said he got a poem out of making a list of 10 verbs in a minute. And he ended up with a poem out of that silly exercise. So, you know, once you start a silly writing exercise, you never know where it's going to go. Even if it feels like it's not going to go anywhere, it's like you don't have anything to write about. Just do it and go through the process and you might come out with a poem at the end. So um, thanks for sharing that last time because I passed, all, passed it along. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, Aaron. Have a good night. See you again soon.